I have with me today a, a fellow writer, a fellow retired cop, and uh, he is just, he is a prolific author. He has a new book out called The Obama Gang, which is just fantastic. Steve Popper, welcome to the program. Oh, it's my pleasure. Nice to be with you, Betsy. So, Steve, what motivated you to, uh, to research and write this book, The Obama Gang? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I retired 10 years earlier than I thought I might have. And I realized that a lot of it was because of the Obama administration and their, you know, uh, view towards police officers and what they were doing in particular to, you know, my department, which was the Seattle Police Department. And, uh, you know, within, with the Obama administration coming in with their federal consent decrees, which uh, we almost immediately had debunked by a Seattle University um, criminal justice law professor um, and who sent a, a special to the uh, Times, the Seattle Times, saying that uh, uh, Seattle should demand an apology from the DOJ and tell them to get out of town. And this was a guy who's not a right winger or anything. This was a guy who just looked at the numbers and he said, this is ridiculous. These numbers, there's no way these numbers are true. You know, so what they ended up doing, of course, the city didn't care. They went and instituted the consent decree. And from there on, it just started taking officers off the street. Um, you know, it, it uh, wouldn't allow us to focus on work. Uh, uh, it, it just it kind of uh, that, that leftist tumble from there where we went from equal justice to social justice. And it just uh, was devastating, got to the point that a lot of officers uh, like me, you know, who've been on for a while, uh, just, uh, they're not letting us do the job. We can't go out and do the job. So since I can retire, uh, I decided I would. I stayed six months longer than I had to. Uh, but it was, and I moved my retirement up three times as things kept happening. And then finally it came time and I, and I left. Well, Steve, as you know, I was a police officer in Illinois, and right. so Barack Obama was my senator when I was on the job. Right. And, uh, and he was then very anti-law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, we all knew it then, you know, before he came onto the national scene. And, uh, and right. it was very frustrating after he got elected, he, uh, president, he almost immediately began bashing cops with the beer summit and then when the michael brown shooting happened so those were very frustrating times weren't they they really were you know especially when you consider the highest office in the land it's his doj that cleared officer darren wilson of uh what they were accusing him of and what did they go to ferguson with like 50 fbi personnel and uh you know, and they still couldn't find, you know, find any charges to bring against him. And yet at a community, I think it was a uh, town hall meeting, not too long after that, um, President Obama had the, the nerve to say, I don't think we'll ever know what really happened. Well, wait a minute. That, what do you mean what really happened? Your DOJ investigated it and you have to presume innocence, right? If it hasn't been convicted. So, um, you know, but he wasn't willing to give the officer that even that benefit of the doubt, which was actually backed with a lot of uh, evidence at that point. And uh, when you get somebody like that doing that and it just will not relent in that anti-cop attitude, I'm not even sure if he was aware of how anti-cop he is because, you know, he comes off as a nice guy. And I think if you met him in person, probably think he's a pleasant guy, but uh, he's done too much. That's just so that's anti-cop and he's continued it in his post-presidency. Well, and that's the thing, you know, in in the in a post Ferguson world that we're in now. I mean, he before he uh, left the presidency, he made inflammatory comments about police officers. Right, and you know they can be seen as tacit approval. I mean, you don't want to blame somebody else for somebody else's bad actions, 
but there comes a time that you you don't inflame something you know situation especially the way our country is right now and to uh say things that are that inflammatory to get people you know on edge and you know if you're constantly telling people that the police are you know uh out to get you the you know, hunting uh, people of color, or even the folks that are saying, you know, that are committing a genocide. I mean, that is not even close to those kinds of numbers, doesn't even make sense. And uh, when, when somebody at that high of a level does that, they really need to be more responsible with their language, uh, because it does motivate. I mean, just look at the numbers of the increase in police officers being killed now. And also, I read something, you know, recently, just anecdotal, but these officers talking about um, their experiences with how many people are resisting now. In resisting arrest, resisting orders, resisting complying with police officers. And when you've got, you know, somebody like President Obama saying things like that, and then you've got prosecutors across the country, you know, backed by George Soros, who are not prosecuting even resisting arrest cases, what else is going to happen? And then you find out that, you know, the police officers killed in a year go from, it was like 190 something to 350 or something the next year. That's crazy. And, and you said it, you know, now that, you know, of course, President Obama is out of office, but he's continuing this anti-cop rhetoric and he's doing it in a very formal way, right? Through the Obama Foundation and his My Brother's Keeper uh, initiative, isn't he? He, he really is. And um, the, way, the way he's done it too, is he stayed kind of in the background and he'll come forward a little bit, but mostly in the background, but his fingerprints are, are on everything. I mean, when you think about uh, the fact that, uh, um, like for instance, at, at NPA here, um, you know, we started uh, researching a lot of this because uh, we had found out that, um, you know, a police union up in Upper Darby, uh, Pennsylvania, um, put out a tweet that they had lost their SWAT armored vehicle. And they lost it specifically because of the demilitarization type of thing, you know, that the uh, um, that uh, President Obama and, and his allies don't like, you know, the anti-police folks. And this was even though they had just used it in a non-law enforcement way to rescue people during massive flooding that they had there. So anyway, doing a little research on that, they found out it was because the uh, um, I think it was the mayor. I don't know if it was, it's usually a mayor or, or, a, or a county official, but anyway, uh, county executive. But I think it was the mayor. Um, sign the uh, My Brother's Keeper Alliance Pledge, which has people promising that they'll do, you know, basically comply with what Obama wants for a, a police use of force investigation. Um, and, but that was part of that, that the reason he got rid of that SWAT vehicle. And, you know, that's just, uh, you know, when you, when you see that, it comes down to what's an ex-president doing going to, per, to cities to get them to weaken their police departments? And you just you just know that there's an, there's a bigger objective there. Well, absolutely, and people can go to the Obama Foundation website and see um, their reimagining policing pledge that they're asking mayors to sign on to. And and you know, it's basically, I mean, they talk very openly, and this was all pre George Floyd. They talk yeah. very openly about reimagining policing. Uh, and and they they want these mayors to pledge to defund their police departments and to radically change the way that they police. And this is all towards the goal of stopping what they call quote unquote police violence against people, which is an absolute rarity, isn't it? it? It really is. You know, with the millions of contacts we have each year with the public, um, it's it's way less than than one percent uh it's in the it's in the probably hundredth of a percent 
uh, where it comes to any kind of violence, and especially when it comes to, you know, uh, an officer having to use lethal force against somebody, it's, um, you know, it's, it's extremely low. And one of the things that uh, really bothers me about this situation, too, is that, for instance, with the, uh, with the pledge, and, and they call it the reimagining pledge, um, they, they talk about, they've got four things they want people to do. They want, the, they, promise, they have the mayor promise to review the use of force and then engage people, the community, and they mean get anecdotes from people in the community so you can imagine what they get. And uh, then, then to report back within 90 days. And then, I love this one, the last one, and then go and reform your use of force policies. There's nothing about, if you find that there's a problem, then go ahead and refer, no, it's not that. And there's another thing that's uh, you know starkly missing in that is talking to the police. That's not one of the one of the uh, things that they want people to do. So this is all done without police input. And I'm finding that that trend in a lot of the a lot of the research we did for the book, going to the different cities was a lot of the things they were doing they weren't including the the police. Um, Mayor uh, Jacob Fry of uh, Minneapolis got rid of um, what he called fear-based training, but it's basically officer survival training without talking to the police or even going to check out a training. And then you've got Ithaca, New York, where the mayor there, he, uh, he wants to split his department into armed and unarmed and, um, you, know, a, you know, facets or whatever, and call it public safety agency. And then he wants the officers who want to be, remain as an armed officer to reapply for the job. And again, in that, he did not include the police department in the discussion. And we know that because part of the story says he, um, he apologized for not including them, of course, after the fact. So, you know, that, that when you see those trends, you, you just see it's not a fair system the way they're doing it. Well, and, and when you look at, and you did so much research on this, and, and this is why you call the book The Obama Gang. Barack Obama, who came from my native Chicago, um, if you're, if people are unfamiliar with Chicago politics, there's a very specific way that things run in Chicago. And it right. is a very much a gangster style, uh, way of doing business, isn't it? And that's what you discovered in your research. It is. And it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, they've uh, perfected the wink and nod at, uh, you know, the way they do it, because there's, there's. Once you do the research, you find all the, well, no, I can't say all the connections because even when we were doing this, we had to stop at some point because it just kept going. You know, there was, uh, you know, uh, group after group, you know, and, and all these uh, things that we were finding. We ended up doing, I think it was 540 citations in there to be able to get people to be, do their own research. And of course, we had to, we're trying to keep up with the fact that every time something gets exposed, they take something down. So, you know, you're not able to get to a lot of the, uh, the, the, the sites you're trying to go and keep the information going. Um, but it's, it's such a web, you know, when you've got one organization and there's so many organizations, so it's hard to pick out any, any one, but a lot of them, you know, uh, started by George Soros or funded by George Soros. And, uh, and they um, almost immediately carve those um, foundations into another foundation and then another foundation and another and then those split and then those fund other foundations and so by the time the money gets to where it's supposed to go to it's hard to trace back um you know i mean i i think forensic accounts you know obviously could do it if they sat down and had the information but there's so much information to get and you have old groups like acorn that uh president obama was a part of before he came on in his uh or became president with his uh community organizing 
And they're still alive and well in the country, but they're just not called ACORN anymore. But they're still there. And you know, they, they had uh, convictions for voter fraud and a lot of other things that were going on. So when they can split like that and go into all these amorphous, you know, uh, se separate units, it makes it really tough to, to track them down. And I think that fog is where they're, they're able to operate so well. Well, and that's exactly how an illegal gang works, layer exactly. after layer after layer after layer. One, yeah. of, one of the things the Obama Foundation engages in as well through these groups, this web of groups, is something that everybody's talking a lot about now, and that's cancel culture. They oh, yeah. were engaged in cancel culture long before it became really prevalent, even in our vernacular, weren't they? They were trying to cancel pro-police politicians and pro-police media yeah, people, yeah, weren't they? Oh, absolutely. Um, in Seattle, when I was uh, on, it was, I think it started like, oh, oh, well, it started a long time ago in Seattle. We got a head start on a lot of the country. But uh, I remember specifically in about 2010 when they started doing active, um, you know, uh, you'd say uh, brainwashing, you could call it, you know, uh, uh, political indoctrination, you know, but what they do is they'd actually mandate officers go to these trainings and they bring into the trainings and the training, all the information was based on the left. They bring in, you know, black scholars and all that, but all from the left, nobody from the right. The, you didn't find, uh, you know, like Thomas Sowell there or uh, Shelby Steele, you know, you, you just found, uh, you know, uh, Tavis Smiley, you know, or, or uh, you know, I'm not going to call Sharpton a scholar, but anyway, you, that, that from that end of the spectrum. And, uh, but you didn't get, and, and they would kind of organize the training so that they corralled you, sometimes literally, they would have you get up and go against the wall if, you've, if you believed more in one thing than another, but they wouldn't let you sit down or stay sitting down if you didn't believe in either. It was like you had to choose and everything was gearing you towards a left response. And this was a lot of, the, and the, the uh, Obama administration coming in with their DOJ to impose a consent decree happened right at, during this time. It was going on at the same time. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, the officers just felt like, okay, um, at, you know, we, we don't believe in this stuff. This is not police work. This is, this is a disguise or a, this is a, um, political indoctrination disguised as police training. They were calling it police training. And I think we had every right to be upset. And uh, they didn't consider us uh, just of a different opinion. We were wrong and they were right. And that was where you start to get our opinions were canceled. They didn't care what we thought. Um, I wrote articles in, the, in our Guild newspaper uh, regarding all this situation. And I get investigated for over seven months for writing an article that my chief said I had a right to write. He admitted that. And yet I still got an official investigation because while you're under investigation, as you know, you can't speak to the media. You can't speak. The, and that's why that's why they did it. So that they, they could present their argument because not a lot of cops want to do this <laughs> because we like our privacy for the most part. Exactly. Um, you know, but if, if you got one willing to do it, no, they, they needed to shut me up. So they did. Yeah, exactly. And and when you look at the the Obama Foundation and its many many layers, they they again they're mostly interested in uh, as they talk about in stopping police violence. They don't seem particularly interested in stopping black on black crime. And yet, in cities like again Chicago, Barack Obama's uh, adopted hometown, 
you, if you are a young black man, you are 95% more likely to be killed by another young black man than you are to be even shot by the Chicago Police Department. And this is true in cities like Baltimore, uh, New York, you know, things are uh, now Minneapolis is a real problem. And, uh, and they keep talking about police violence, not, not violence on the streets. Why is that? I think it's it's uh, just part of the narrative. It fits the narrative really strongly. And you know, um, I was uh, either listening to something or read something. Uh, Heather McDonald uh, brought up uh, a very uh, quick statistic saying that uh, basically, if you took out the police shootings of uh, Black Americans, you know, Black sus suspects, out of the equation of of uh, um, Black people killed in violence, you know, whether it's gun violence, whatever type of violence, uh, it, it's minuscule. The, the The number would virtually be the same. Because the police, uh, quote unquote, police violence against uh, uh, criminals is so little. And, and the thing that I think about, too, is that they seem to think that it's supposed to be a fair fight between us and the criminals. It's like if officers kill a thousand you know, criminals who are trying to kill them a year, then somehow some of the left get the impression that, well, to make it fair, then, then the criminals should be able to kill a thousand cops. Because if you're if you're calling cops having to use, um, you know, uh, lethal force against a criminal who's trying to kill him, if you're calling that police violence and you want to end police violence, then what does that mean? That means more cops getting killed by the criminals. It's got to be. I mean, you've seen some of the uh, uh, shootings recently where officers, I mean, they're being attacked. There was one in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, a guy comes running out of his house with a knife upheld, screaming, running at an officer. And people are still saying that that officer should have de-escalated. There's another of the key phrases that comes up. And then they rioted. What was that officer supposed to do? And, and again, to quote Heather McDonald, the only thing he had left was to allow the guy to stab him. And that doesn't make any sense at all. And uh, I think what I liked about doing the book was it was pulling all these elements together to show how it, 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 it's not an arbor, I mean, it's not a grassroots um, organization or movement against the police. This is organized. Um, from political, I, I don't even say political opponents anymore, they're political enemies. They want to destroy the police. And they're using this directed uh, organization and uh, blueprint, whatever you want to call it, to, you know, with using the same terminology like police violence and de-escalation and that type of thing, to, to weaken the police. And, uh, and it was nice to do the book where it could bring everything together. And when you read through it too, you start to see all this stuff in it and you think, wow, that is connected. That was directed. That didn't just spur out of George Floyd. So the, they were waiting for something to happen. If it wasn't George Floyd, it would have been something else. That's exactly what we have been saying now since last May, that they, mm -hmm. this was a, George Floyd was a perfect storm, mm -hmm. but it was going to, and if it wouldn't have been George Floyd, like you said, then the next, it would have been Jacob Blake, or it would have been, right. um, it would have been the, the uh, Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta. It right. was going to be, right something and yep. that's what i want people to understand about your book is because there is this this assumption i think from a lot of pro-police citizens that think well george floyd was just such that breaking point people need to read in your book that this is a movement mm -hmm. that has been taking uh, place on the political left for much longer than just uh, mid 2020, correct? Oh, oh absolutely, and it, it's so it expands when you start to read it and you find out that um, during the Obama administration, they were even basically practicing overseas. 
I mean, they have these, uh, you know, color revolutions that, that happen in different cities and uh, around the world or different countries. And, um, you know, while they're and the CIA is involved and other agencies, U.S. agencies are involved in doing that. And you start to find out the connections between um, George Soros, uh, the Obama Foundation and the people overseas working on, you know, inciting certain insurrections in other countries. And then you start to find out um, that it looks like they're practicing to do that over here. Then you find out you've got uh, um, Black Lives Matter, you know, consulting with uh, Hamas. And so you make that overseas connection as well. And when you had Hamas come to Ferguson to coordinate with Black Lives Matter movement, you start to see that this is a big thing and it's very well directed. And that's why they've been so successful so far. I, can you imagine this, what, over $1 billion worth of damage and looting and in, in America without stopping it? And we have the ability to stop it with the police, National Guard. Um, you saw in Seattle when uh, after the, um, you know, the Chop Jazz Zone, uh, once they showed up on uh, Mayor Durkin's uh, lawn, it didn't take long before she said, okay, police, let's go in and do it. And the police cleared the area in, I think it was less than an hour, about an hour, and, and took back the precinct, took back the whole area. Where can people, first of all, where can people uh, find you uh, on social media? How can they read more of your writings and, and learn more about what you're doing out there to... Uh, support the police profession along with the National Police Association. Right. Yeah. At, at all the uh, social media, I'm basically there as Steve Pomper, one word, and that's on MeWe and Gab and Parler and Twitter and and everything basically. And then uh, the books available at the usual places. Um, well, actually, the the Kindle edition is available now, but there's a uh, link to pre-order at uh, Amazon. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association. Visit us at nationalpolice.org. This year, over 50,000 law enforcement officers have been assaulted while on duty. A vast number of these attacks were filmed and uploaded to social media in the pursuit of likes and attention. What they want to do is film you instead of like, what can I do to help this officer? Together, we can change this disturbing trend. If that individual would have hit the right spot, you know, it, it could have been it for me. You know, last time I would have saw my wife, my kids. I'm Mike Solon. Law enforcement officers need your support. If you see an officer under attack, then follow these simple steps in order to help. One, call 911 and give the officer's exact location. Two, ask the officer if you can assist. If the officer accepts, then do whatever you can do to safely help. Three, if the officer declines, then start filming and be a good witness. It's time to stop filming and start helping.